Hi, and welcome to the Speed JCM podcast. If it's your first one with Bob McCormack, you're in for a treat. And if you're following up on the previous one on shoulder dislocation, then this is the second of three podcasts. And for those of you that met Bob on the previous podcast, I'm going to do the short introduction and say, Bob, you're renowned for helping with orthopaedic um, problems and you're a great orthopaedic educator and tell us briefly about the Canadian Orthopaedic Trauma Society um, that has a research arm that you've been heavily involved in. Well, many years ago, we um, a group of us got together in Canada, some orthopaedic surgeons from a few different centres and determined that we really needed to focus on prospective randomised trials and this was at a time when it wasn't very common in, in orthopaedics to have um, prospective trials and particularly difficult to have the concept of randomized trials when it was surgical versus non-surgical treatment. But we decided that if we were going to do this, we needed to do it with multi-center to get the numbers and to have the generalizability that it wasn't just what Bob McCormick does, but what surgeons at a number of different centers um, could show. And and this Canadian Orthopedic Trauma Society has been involved in many trials now and I'm, and has been successfully been able to answer, I think, some relevant questions for not just the orthopedic community, but the sports medicine community. So we're going to focus on the best treatment for a displaced mid-shaft clavicle fracture, and you've been very much involved in this yourself, so you're telling this as an investigator and as a clinician, uh, so congratulations. So let's go with the two cases that you outlined at the CASM meeting in Quebec City, the Canadian Academy of Sport and Exercise Medicine, and you talked about a 22-year-old football player who was injured in pre-season, and you showed an X-ray of a clear fracture in the mid-section of the clavicle, and then you talked about a road cyclist who fell off the bike and had national championships in two months. What was your rationale for choosing those cases, and then take us through it, Bob? Well, the first one is a collision athlete. Uh, it could have been a, a rugby player. And the question is, uh, what can you do to get them back to their sport safely in the shortest period of time in a sport where they're at, going to have high stresses? In the second case of a cyclist, and of course it's not uncommon for a cyclist to come off their bike and break their clavicle, but it may not be something where they're routinely getting those uh, direct collisions, but they... With the national championships coming up in two months, how can we get them back to a high level of function, able to train in the shortest period of time? And so the traditional literature has been, is really said that these people are just treated in a sling or a figure of eight, and uh, it's almost benign neglect, let it heal, and the traditional literature has suggested that a very high percentage do well. I remember being taught as a, as a resident that 99% were good to excellent. But it, when you look more critically at the literature, it's not that good. There is a significant incidence of non-union. There's a significant incidence of shoulder dysfunction because the shoulder girdle heals in a shortened, totic position. The, the shoulder droops. It's internally rotated. The, the clavicle, which is a normal strut to keep the shoulder out, has been shortened. So when it's a displaced fracture, in the, in the study we did, we focused on fractures that were completely displaced, 100% displaced. Uh, the question was, can we do better than non-operative treatment? Is there a role for early surgery? Particularly given that we think that our modern surgery is better than the surgery that was done in the 60s and 70s when those edicts came out that surgery really didn't have a role for clavicle fractures. 
to, to that point, one of the, the things that prompted us is systematic reviews that have been done have shown a surprisingly high incidence of non-union of clavicles that are completely displaced, as high as 15 to, in some studies, 20%. And with, and, and particularly in fractures that are comminuted or where there's significant shortening, um, there's more problems, not just with the non-union, but with limited function. So the question is, can we improve outcomes with, uh, in completely displaced fractures with open reduction internal fixation? So what we did in our study is we um, took patients in the age group that were skeletally mature with a completely displaced mid-shaft clavicle fracture that were closed, and we tried to take a you know fairly st- standard group, no neurovascular compromise, and we excluded pathologic fractures, open fractures, um, he- people with a head injury, and we took patients and, and randomized them. And, and actually, that's one of the things about this trial. When you talk to patients and say, we don't know what's best, surgery or no surgery, it sometimes makes that, you know, they kind of say, well, if you don't know what's best, I know what's best. Don't operate. But it, so it's, it's, uh, it, it can be an interesting discussion obtaining consent when you're trying to tell somebody they're going to be randomized to an operation or no operation. Uh, but we actually had very few patients that didn't agree to be involved in the study. Um, and we, what we did is we collected um, uh, 132 patients, followed them out for a minimum of a year. Um, the randomization worked well. They were very similar in terms of their hand dominance, smoking history, mechanism of injury, associated injuries, the fracture pattern. And the, we used some validated uh, outcome measures that are designed for the shoulder and shoulder function. The dash, which is the disabilities of arm, shoulder, and hand, and the constant, which is more common in Europe, is a measure of shoulder function. And uh, what we found, and probably the most important thing with the study, was in the conservatively treated group, using both the dash and the constant, at a year, those patients had not returned to normal. Where in the surgically treated group, they returned to basically the normal range uh, of those scores by about four months. So it was a much quicker return to normal function. And indeed, following them out to a year, they never completely recovered full function in the conservatively treated group. Now, layered on top of that, the patients were much more satisfied. Uh, the, the difference in patient satisfaction at 12 weeks and 52 weeks uh, was statistically significant with P-levels 0.001. The range of motion was the same in both groups, um, and both patients did well in terms of their range of motion, but there was also a significant difference uh, in time to union. In the operative group, it was estimated, because that can actually be a challenge, as the one is a fracture healed when you have a plate in, but using the criteria that we defined, at 16 weeks, there was union in the operative group versus 29 weeks in the conservatively treated group. Again, a difference at P.001. So what we're left with is a multicenter trial, prospectively randomized with an adequate sample size that showed that patients who had surgery recovered more quickly, recovered more predictably, uh, and were able to return to their normal activities sooner. Yeah, fantastic. A really 
big step. So you're doing that in your management and you're seeing those results in the clinic? Well, it's interesting. When we started the trial at, at our center, I was the, the principal investigator at our site, and I presented it to our group of orthopedic surgeons. And most of the surgeons in our group refused to participate in the trial because they said it'd be unethical to operate on clavicle fractures because they do so well non-operatively. So only a, 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 a couple of surgeons at our center participated in this multi-center trial. The results came out, and, and they were pretty uh, impactful. In fact, even during the trial, at one point, our research assistant said to me, can we continue this trial? Is it ethical for us to continue? Because the people with the, that have been operating on are so much better. And, and when we finished the trial and crunched the numbers, showed that indeed the people who had early surgery were functioning better and had better results, it's dramatically changed the practice at our hospital. All, all, all the surgeons in our hospital now operate on displaced clavicle fracture, at least have that discussion with the patient and say, it's an option, we think the results are better, and it's the same way as um, a fractured forearm. Uh, you know, we, 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 we operate on those because we think the results are better and it's important for upper extremity function. And do you find the patients pretty accepting? They're very accepting. It's, I mean, they have to be prepared to accept the fact that there's a scar over their clavicle. And in our study, we looked at plates and screws, so open reduction and internal fixation with plates and screws, that those plates can sometimes be a little prominent and in, uh, in, in may require a second procedure to take the plate out if it's bothering them because uh, uh, straps rub on it uh, or there's pressure on it from something else. But um, the hardware removal is a small procedure, and most of the clavicle, displaced clavicle fractures, and I'm not talking about uh, minimally displaced, but certainly all the displaced clavicle fractures, and if they're shortening, the vast majority of those are end up being treated surgically in our, in, uh, in our location now, and that's really been a dramatic change on the basis of this kind of evidence. So in, in summary, our, our feeling is that the basis of this, the trial that we performed, that um, early operative fixation of completely displaced mid-shaft clavicle fractures results in improved patient outcomes using validated outcome measures, improved surgeon-oriented outcomes, which would be healing and range of motion and shoulder function, earlier return to function, a decreased non-union rate, and, all, and not a significant complication rate associated with that surgery. So personally, if I had a displaced mid-shaft clavicle fracture, I would have early operative fixation because I'm not prepared to accept the downtime of being in a sling or the, the frustration of dealing with a figure of eight uh, brace and be having limited uh, impaired function for an unnecessarily long period of time. And Bob, any particular things for the physios to watch out for if they're rehabbing people like this? We worry a little bit that the wound can break down, so you, you want to protect that. It's often, especially in, in young athletes, there's not a lot of body fat, and so it's over a bony prominence. So uh, keeping an eye on the incision. But generally, if, you've, if the surgeon is um, happy that they've gotten stable fixation, you can work on early range of motion pretty well right off the bat as soon as symptoms allow. So that's one of the advantages. Somebody can get their full range of motion back quite early, probably would hold off 
aggressive strengthening and for three to four weeks and, you know, to give it a chance on healing and avoiding, you know, collision or high impact activities for probably six to maybe as much as eight weeks. Again, depending on the nature of the fixation and, and other patient factors. Slight question in my mind. It's 16 weeks of bony healing in the operative group. You're saying maybe get back to sport in eight weeks. How does, how does that work? Well, it's, uh, we know that x-rays always lag behind clinical union. So, and I, and I'm not actually suggesting that we'd let somebody, um, that we'd recommend somebody get back to six to eight weeks, um, to a high risk activity like North American football or rugby. But when we're dealing with high level athletes that are professionals, they're always trying to push the envelope. And we've had a number of instances where people have safely or um, successfully, I should say, uh, gone back to high-risk activities after six to eight weeks. And it seems there's enough healing, put a little pad over top of that area, and uh, th- they've been able to get back. So um, it probably, re- you, when you're talking in a study and looking at radiographic outcomes, the x-rays always lag behind the clinical picture. Thanks a lot, Bob, and great to get your clinical insight as well as the benefit of your trial expertise. So we're going to leave the clavicle now. We're going to move to the AC joint dislocation in the next podcast. In the meantime, don't forget to check uh, BJSM Twitter. That's at BJSM underscore VMJ for regular updates in sports medicine. Our Facebook page is active, and feel free to spread the word that there are resources on lots of topics on BJSM. Thanks for listening and have an active day.